This is Game Theory, a podcast by myself and my brother Chris about strategy, competition, and decision-making. Now, typically, we do research and we find a topic. The idea of the show is that we have a bar-top discussion about something to do with Game Theory. We're not experts. We don't posit to be experts. We simply want to discuss competition and strategy, etc., etc. This week, like every other person on the internet, we had planned to do some cicada content for the summer. However, when we began recording, something interesting happened. We had a fight a little bit about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Game of Thrones series versus movies. It was a whole thing. We got into Inglorious Bastards, Game of Thrones, Fast and Furious, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I posit very strongly that everything would be better, that TV series, limited series are the best way to tell a story right now on screen. And Chris, of course, is a diehard MCU fan. He goes to all of the the premieres at midnight. He's a huge fan. So we discuss what it's doing for the industry. We discuss like which is better. And this is just a true uh, conversation that we got into. So the goal is to entertain you. The Cicada Show will be out soon enough. Um, we hope maybe we'll start some fights on the way to the shore or the mountains or wherever you're going for your Memorial Day weekend. Of course, we'd like to give a shout out to all of the servicemen and women who are actively serving and of course, all of those who came before us. So if you'd like us to do a real episode about this where we get into some research and we discuss uh, different story theory and money theory, that, that, that seems like a pretty good game theory topic. The email is in the show descriptions to say yes or no. We'd like another episode about that. And if not, just enjoy this uh, impromptu game theory conversation between my brother Chris and I. All right, safe travels, everyone, and have a happy and safe holiday. The MCU is convincing people to spend money on going to the MCU. That's propaganda. How they do that is what's fascinating. And that's what this is about. This is the only way that people can go to the fucking movie. It's the only predictable way to get asses in seats except for sports. That's what the propaganda. And the fact that they can pull that off is worthy of investigation because it is not good enough to warrant $20. It is good enough to warrant maybe $3 a year later. It, okay, by themselves, very few of the movies are. But if you see it as a universe and just think of it as a show, like then it suddenly starts to make sense. People pay for an HBO subscription for eight years so they can watch Game of Thrones, which still has way more airtime than the total of all MCU productions so far. Like, I don't get what people's big hangup is about that and why it's so hard to conceptualize these as like chapters in one story instead of like a bunch of different movies just like run, like, like thrown haphazardly about the cinematic space. Like, I don't, I, I don't get what's hard to comprehend about that. Okay, I will. All right, all right, all right, all right. So this is obviously about to be an episode. So <laughs> I'm actually not joking. So you pick up a book, you pick up a book that is a thousand pages, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I well, have mine, mine are in boxes now, but I have humble brag, read War and Peace twice. This many times. That's two this, times more than the average This person. percent joking. So. You pick up War and Peace. Now, the longest chapter in War and Peace, I've counted it, is like 20-something pages. But the average chapter, if I had to guess, is like seven. It's a thousand-page book with seven-page chapters. That means, like, no matter where you are in the book, for the most part, you're just stopping point in five minutes. So if you're, you're an avid reader and you're like, you're like a reader, 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 you can be like, I can crush 20 minutes. I'm out of this chapter, no problem. But if you're like, dude, that's like, I stopped paying attention one chapter ago. I can just go back to the previous chapter. That's how people are consuming it. So if the MCU was actually split up further, I'd be more interested. But, like, it's just the chapters are just too long, and then they charge me for them. 
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up right now. I'm yeah. gonna look up okay. how long is an episode of Game of Thrones? Okay, first seasons one through six when it was fun. No, 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 no. Seasons one through six when it was fun. No, no, no. We cannot do this. This selective, like, oh, no true Scotsman would watch season seven and eight. We can't do that. Okay, fine. Do the average length then. Do the average length. Fine. It'll even out. Okay. Same thing. Average. Are, are, so did they get longer or shorter? In longer. Season? There were longer episodes, fewer episodes. It became the MCU. It was awful. It was garbage. We all hated huh. it. Episode of Game of Thrones length. Okay. So this is from uh, Statista.com. This is just the first Google result. You know, the little recommended thing. Yeah, obviously. Just from that. Sure. So it says the findings reveal that the final season of Game of Thrones season eight had the highest average episode length with each episode running an average of 68.3 minutes. Season two had the lowest average length at 54.9 minutes. So on average, season eight had 14 more minutes of runtime per episode. You know what you can do in 14 minutes? You can lie and tell people that you've worked out, which is what I do all the time. I'm aware. Like you, so regardless, regardless. All right, since you have your Google machine up, what's the average length of an MCU movie? Okay. Movie, average not WandaVision MCU, or whatever else is out there. Average MCU movie length. <laughs> the first recommended answer is 3,000 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. So, so th- th- that's just like the Google thing that comes up. This is from the HindustanTimes.com. Oh, great. Uh, I'm not clicking that. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Theory says total runtime of every MCU movie is three thousand minutes. That's hilarious. Uh, I think my point is proven, even though not. Well, my no, no, no. It's that's drawn from the last Avengers movie, where Tony Stark's adorable daughter uh, says, "I love you three thousand right before bedtime to mm. Daddy." But that's utterly ridiculous. So let's click on the screen rant mm. and see what they have to say. I respect that source for sure. Okay. Okay. So the. T- and there haven't been any new movies that have come the title is it would take 50 hours to marathon every mcu movie you're cutting out you're cutting out but i will help i'm gonna help you so if 50 hours to every mcu movie i'm gonna get my google machine out while you figure out how to plug in a usb cord and how many mcu movies are there why is it on caps lock okay 23 Jesus fucking nerd. Jesus. <laughs> fucking nerd. It's 23. Two- now there's two series with a third Disney Plus series coming out starting streaming June 9th on 6-9, which I don't think we can discount that fact. So fascinatingly. <sighs> Very nice. Nice. Very nice. So fascinatingly, I... I am interested in watching WandaVision. One, because it seems artistically pretty fascinating to me. I kind of, it's got a little maniac y in there. It's, it's it seems kind of dark and cool. Two, because it's fucking chapters. And I can binge it at my own, on my own time. I could be wrong, but I think those chapters are about an hour piece. Yeah, which Game of Thrones is. That, like the problem minutes. with the MCU movies is they, they are three episodes long, and they charge me for that. But the, the issue that we're running up against so There's no, out, the, there's the no off point of Captain America. Like, tell me what point of Captain America I should pause. Where it's like, okay, pick right back up where you were. There's like no anticipation. Like I can't just pause in the middle and then come back just as excited. Okay, so there's a couple things that we're not 
that we're not accounting for here. So, first of all, uh, the vast majority of movies, according to my Google search on towardsdatascience.com, uh, the vast majority of movies are 80 to 120 minutes long. That's two hours, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah, so like movies, movies are getting longer. So if you go to the theater now, you can expect to be there for about two hours. So like you're not criticizing the MCU. You're just criticizing modern movie making. And let's also address the fact that the big blockbuster hits, like the highest grossing film of all time, Avengers Endgame, that's a way longer film than like Ant-Man. So you have these big, long pieces that are like Harry Potter style films. Uh, and they're taking up a lot more time and space in the MCU, as they should, because there's a lot of crossover. There's culminations of storylines that are being drawn together from disparate films. And it's, it's distorting the average. But more importantly, it's not doing anything that other movies and movie sets haven't already done before. You watch the whole thing of Harry Potter, right? You watch all eight films about that seven book series. So where's the criticism for that? Like, oh, yeah, I lose interest in Harry Potter about halfway through. I need chapters. Okay, first of all, that's true. You make a great point, except for the fact that when Harry Potter came out, I couldn't stream from my ass at my house drinking when Harry Potter came out. Like right now is when Harry Potter should have been made. Game of Thrones in my brain is nothing compared to what Harry Potter would have been if it had been an HBO or Netflix or Hulu's original series. That would have been mind-blowing, and I'm, this is furthered by the fact that this is happening. One of the biggest series ever ever, 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 arguably the greatest story told in motion picture history is the Lord of the Rings, and that's being remade into a series because of this, because you can get deeper if you have 60 hours and the people want their, I want my drugs in 60-hour slices. And Marvel, Marvel knew so, better. Well, maybe. So Iron Man, Iron was Man what, was 2008? 2008. Seven? Iron Man was 2008. Yeah, and that was the Favreau, uh, what's his name? That was great. Love Iron Man. Iron Man 2 was fine. And I liked, what was the other one I liked? God damn it. Uh, the one with Chris Pratt. The first one. Second one was whatever. First one was great. Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a movie of the summer. And every now and then there's a movie of the summer, and that was a movie of the summer, and that was fun. I liked that. I went like two or three times. It was awesome. The re what I get out of Game of Thrones is an aspect of what I am, what I like, what I would like more from the hero movies or hero movies MCU and I would include any sort of what a hero movies like the lone survivor Batman all all action is the non-action like the backstabbing chess romance I like humans messing with each other and when game because Game of Thrones has 50 50 plus an element of other like sorcery and that stuff like so if you're a fan of those three things there's enough of the thing that you like because they have so much more time Marvel, I feel so much that it's just jammed. Like, I would like three to six hours more of the movie in a chapter book. Because I want more of the thing that is not in, the, in there enough for me. I don't, you're right. From what is presented to me, I don't like that as much as other stuff. I just said I read War and Peace. I didn't read anything interesting or fun. I read War and Peace. That's where my brain is. So, at. what that tells me is you're just not watching the movies. Like, so have you seen Captain America Civil War? All right, so so the third Captain America series, which is in phase three of the MCU, so we're like we're like double digit movies. We're like 15, 16 movies in by this point. All these characters have been well established. We know who they are. We know what they can do. We know their stories. 
the movies have been building over time to a conflict between Iron Man and Captain America. And there's action in that movie, but the Russo brothers, uh, shoot, what are they? I don't know. I don't remember the first names. Oh yeah. They're spectacular. And like, they conscientiously don't include action in the movies unless it specifically advances the plot. And you can see that when you watch these movies. So like in civil war, the central conflict of the film is that Captain America believes that this initiative to get the Avengers to be responsible to a UN panel, like the, the UN gets oversight of the Avengers, which is an independent organization. Captain America is not on board for that. He thinks the Avengers should stay independent because people with agendas would abuse or misuse the Avengers, uh, and they're supposed to be a force for good. On the other side of that, Tony Stark feels intensely guilty for his inability to protect innocent people and his contributions to instability from building his weapons and building his little tin soldier army with Ultron and all that stuff. Yeah, so so the conflict there has action related to it because the Avengers do violent things against violent villains. But that's not like the main plot of the story. So there's there's intrigue, there's espionage, there's dealing back and forth. The dialogue in that film is so well written. I mean, it's it, is it like a mystery film? Is it is it you know world class all time great writing? No, but it's also not just like the nineteenth Mission Impossible film where it's just guns and helicopter shots and explosions for two and a half hours. Yeah, sure. Well, good, I mean, good film. this is all essentially the brainchild of Stan Lee, right? And Stan Lee was a master storyteller, and I guess he did. I don't know if what he was doing. And I'm not. I tried to. Have, I have tried very hard to read comic books, and I just don't get it. And I very much want to, but I just don't. You're describing like wanting to break things up into smaller chunks so that they're easily digestible, so you have an endpoint. Well, I think that's how a lot of comic stories go. So, like the way a lot of comics folks digest the stories is by like consuming runs at a time. So, like, oh, this great author is doing a run on my favorite character. I gotta, I gotta read them. So they'll come out with an issue every so often and you can buy just that one issue. And then at the end of that, if it's good enough or if it sells enough or whatever, you can buy them in a compilation, you know, you, in, instead of spending, you know, 12 bucks an issue, you can pay like 50 and get the whole bound set of that author's run. And you have the whole thing. And that's the difference between a series of episodes versus like an entire film. And the comic books do that. And obviously the movies, every one of the movies that exists in the MCU draws from some primary comic source. They're not one-to-one remakes of any of the of any of the runs of any of the characters, but they do that same thing, and and they try to capture it in movies. And, and that's one of the reasons that you know, I, I used to be apprehensive about this whole Disney Plus series thing, but now for the reasons that you're discussing, I actually think it's a good thing. I'm excited to see about Loki because you can do more and you can go into more detail in episodes. So what you just described to me is like a physics plot, right? Like, I mean, physics is in like the concepts beyond what I'm watching. I mean, like the concepts of like the work, like the, the physical timeline, it's non-linear storytelling, essentially multiple things like it. This is the gap. So just because I have only watched three and I watched the first Avengers because that was epic, um, obviously. So that I forget about that one. Okay. So I don't know what you've watched because you're uh, I'm a little bit more mainstream and you're a little bit more of a contrarian. Because I know that you didn't watch Game of Thrones because, A, it didn't interest you, quote-unquote, but in reality it was just because uh, George R. R. Martin talked out both sides of his ass. And Well, uh, that's true. I tried, 
And look, I can't respect a guy who claims to tell this great story and then just doesn't finish it. It's been years. Yeah, I've I, gotten, I'm going to be clear. Multiple advanced degrees in the time it's taken George R. R. Martin to finish one book. Like, bro, you can't just chill at your place and play Xbox all day and say you have writer's block. I, I get it. The story has been told for you by HBO and they did a terrible job of it. Weiss and Benioff. Are the real stories? They took this thing like, "Hey, nerd, great idea. I'm glad the nerds are buying the book. We'll take it from here," and they did, and it was great. And so that Game of Thrones, MCU, and then the third thing I'm going to bring in here that I find a fascinating part of this, and I'm dead serious about this because I've watched, I would say, most of them until recently, is Fast and the Furious, because they're pulling off what the Avengers are pulling off. In that, how the fuck do they get people to go to these movies? That's a, that's a great question. I, I I met somebody a long time ago, who's like favorite movies are the fast and the furious and at first i like gave the benefit of the doubt i'm like oh yeah no that's that's kind of cool i guess you could see that but i just realized i mean you know just because you like a bad cigar doesn't make it a good cigar it means you have bad taste like how do they get people to watch these things unless unless everybody who's watching them is on a cheap date hammered or uh I don't know, somewhere on that spectrum all of that aside, I think the, th- the three things that I want to like attack and like looking at these are that I th- I would still posit that Fast and Furious would also be better as a series because the parts that I like about it, like not when they're racing, but when they're like sweaty in Brazil or California or wherever they are, that part to me is fun. Now I've watched most of them. I watched up till the Paul Walker when Paul Walker died. I've seen all of them usually once. It was enough for me. I remember the first one came out second or third grade when all like little boys and stuff were getting into cars and it was all very culturally appropriate and Vin Diesel kind of showed up and it, it was cool. And I, yeah, I saw them all, but everybody knows who knows Fast and Furious. They did Tokyo, the Tokyo Drift because like out of nowhere, like it was a side character, like what the hell? And then it comes back around. Tokyo Drift in California with, uh, with our uncle. uncle. Yeah, like we were 16-ish maybe, yeah, 15. Something like that. Yeah, but then like that was the third, I think, technically movie, but then it comes back around and the way the timeline worked is that it happened after fast five this is exactly what you're describing like it, the, what i'm saying is it's not li- non-linear and the way that you would do that in a show which is what game of thrones is like this is happening and this is happening and they're like oh reveal actually it was not quite happening at the same time look at that no it's a good storytelling device but i think that what i'm missing from mcu and fast and furious is like the really slow artistic development of like what you see in Breaking Bad and Mad Men of like he walked to his car and he looked at the sky like I that's heroin for me. I want more of Captain America waking up and being sore and then shaking it off and going to work or whatever. That's what I want more of. And you can't jam that. What? I have great news for you. What? There are two movies that are full of that stuff. Oh, that's like almost one season. That's not even a season. This should be a four. So, Captain America could be a four-season show. What you're saying it's too long, but somehow it's also not enough. The chapters uh, are too long. Yeah. The book is too short, Chris. Speaking of books that are too short and timelines that were clearly thrown together after the fact, mm. can you guess what I'm holding in my hand right now? In my other hand right now, the King James Bible. Close. The Hyrule Historia, Legend of Zelda. This book contains a, all kinds of canonical information. Concept art, little storyline details, and all matter of other information related to the video game series of Legend of Zelda. It also includes this timeline. So, as you may know, uh, The Legend of Zelda is many decades old. It's older than we are. 
uh, and there have been just a bunch of games. There's, I think there's like, there's like a two dozen games or something. Uh, but in this Hyrule Historia to, to commemorate, I think, the release of Skyward Sword for the Wii, Nintendo put together this timeline. And they said, well, yeah, look, all these Legend of Zelda games that seemingly didn't make a lot of sense together before, turns out they're in the same universe. And like, look, here's the timeline of how it happened. But this thing is so jacked up and convoluted. It's, it's based on a few different things. So one of the linchpin games is Ocarina of Time. And that involves a... Uh, it, it's, 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 I mean, I learned right and wrong from that game. So the story goes that you play as this little child who lives in the forest and discovers, oh no, he has a big destiny, crazy. But then he has to become an adult in order to seal away Ganon and this evil. Uh, but he unleashes Ganon when he accidentally opens the door of time to become an adult, and, and it's all very convoluted. Ganon is the, is the big bad of the entire, uh, really the entire series. There's some others that don't really involve Ganon, but he's, uh, he's the bad guy. But... The timeline is split into like three parts. So you'd think there would be like a child timeline for like, oh yeah, we saved the world and Happy Link goes on his way. And then Happy Adult Link goes on his way because we've split the timeline or whatever. But they've actually put it in a way that you get the child timeline, but then the adult timeline splits into two. There's one timeline where Adult Link defeats Ganon and you seal away evil for all time and there's one where you don't and there's like a branch of the timeline of games that follow if like what if a hero is defeated instead of banishing ganon or whatever and like it's so obvious that the games that they pick there don't have any correlation to one another they just wanted to make it seem cohesive and we're like okay if we give this like jacked up framework we can shoehorn all these games in here and then with like breath of the like this just confirms it for me their big, huge, open-world game, Breath of the Wild, that came out several years ago. Uh, spectacular game. I think it's what Ocarina of Time was supposed to be. It's just you know, so much bigger and better. Uh, that one's not in the timeline at all. It's totally not connected. Nintendo officially announced that. And that's because there is no place for it in the timeline. The timeline is so, like, gnarled and convoluted. They just made it seem like it's cohesive because the fans thought that would be cool. Same thing happened with Fast and Furious. In Tokyo Drift, like, what are we doing here? We really think that's going to be in the same universe? Like, oh, my God, Vin Diesel shows up in a muscle car at the end. Wow, these must be connected. I've been watching Mike Winchell learn to apply the emergency brake for two and a half hours, and suddenly I'm supposed to believe he's like, what, Paul Walker's buddy or something? Come on. What was Jason Statham? He ended up being the bad guy after The Rock and Vin Diesel became the greatest tag team of all time. Yeah. is that What was that movie? It was, like, Miles and... Miles and Sense or something where Jason Statham and The Rock have to like fight Idris Elba. Yeah, so after after Paul Walker died, I don't know or care. Um, I don't know what to tell you. So I watched the last one where he died, and that was actually pretty cool. Like the way they remembered him with like a scene they shot, and there's like a little CGI in there. And then you're always because you knew that he died. So you're like, how are they are they going to kill him in the in the movie? Like what's going to happen? You're waiting for every scene. Like is this the scene where Paul Walker dies? Is this the scene where Paul Walker dies? And it wasn't. Um, it, was great, it was a great movie. But then after that, I mean, I stopped caring. I thought the show ended. Like, the, what a great way to end the show. And it was all, it seemed like everything was tight, but then everyone was like, hey, we're making more money. And I think that is going to prevent the MCU from tying up nicely in that, like, eventually, this too shall pass. At some point, this was going to run out. Like, all good things end, of course. Like, Modern Family, Friends, Seinfeld, everything that makes money hangs on like a little bit, a little bit too long. 
and then it's just going to be like, hey, we're going to keep going, keep going, keep going. It'll peter out. The contracts will end and no one will care. That, I think, is what is prevented when you do limited series, for the most part. So here's why I think AMCU is going to buck that trend. And hope. You also said you said think, and I know that you also meant hope. You hope. Well, I, I think they have – so they have, uh, they have a plan for this. It's not just like – you know, I'm sure they'll come up with something. They have a, uh, a list outlined for what's going to happen for the next several years. Uh, so I'm pulling up uh, Wikipedia now just so I can get you know the full picture here. But Marvel has this advantage over stories like, like you mentioned Modern Family. Okay, well, that's a fun show built around the hilarious dynamics of some non-traditional American families who are trying to you know, live in this crazy Californian world. Uh, the problem with that is that the show relied so heavily on young kids early on that kids age. Young actors age, and so it's not as fun when, like, you keep having to write these adult storylines in for kids. Like, oh my gosh, the other one failed to launch too. How crazy is that? I don't want to watch that. It's not as fun as, you know, when they're doing their little uh, youthful hijinks. But what the MCU has going for it is that they have an entire pantheon of characters. They have the entire Marvel comic universe, which is just, I mean, it's characters out the ass. And what I think they're going to do is that as these films go on and as these Disney series go on, they're going to phase out characters that they are done with. Like their storyline has ended and like they're not going to be in the universe anymore. And they can reintroduce, they can introduce new characters to kind of take up the mantle or like occupy center stage. For example, Tony Stark's dead. He was the heart and soul of the MCU. He literally kicked off the entire thing by announcing that he's Iron Man kind of proved the concept to be honest like I, I don't think mcu wasn't a real like it this this movie making thing was not a plan until iron man did so well right yeah and he's dead now he's not coming back they're not doing this posthumous like oh my gosh he's resurrected or you know maybe he didn't die it's from another timeline they're not doing that they're retiring his storyline like his tale is told captain america same thing steve rogers tale is told in the four avengers films and the three captain america films his little funny cameos in the first Spider-Man movie. Steve Rogers has decided to live his life and hang up the mantle of Captain America. His story is done. And now he's been replaced by a new Captain America that he chose, who's taken up the mantle so well. The series is so good. And they're going to do that with some characters, but then they're also just going to introduce some new ones. So, for example, uh, in the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got Black Widow. So, okay, so we're rehashing an old character. Black Widow's been there since Iron Man. Scarlett Johansson, right? Scarlett Johansson, yeah. She's finally getting her own uh, her own MCU film. Oh, a long time. But what that's going to do is tell fill in some gaps in the storyline. So the MCU fan out there who's listening knows that Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and Scarlett Johansson, the Black Widow, uh, had this like funny little moment in Budapest and they make reference to it all the time. It's like, oh yeah, we're old buddies. Remember Budapest? Well, apparently this movie is going to tell us what happened in Budapest. Uh, it's also going to introduce new characters. Like Florence Pugh has a prominent role in this. Uh, what's the guy's name who played uh, Hopper from Stranger Things? Love that guy. Can't uh, remember his name. Can't yep, remember his totally name. watched that. All right, well, that's a separate discussion. But anyway, he's going to be in it, uh, and it's going to be an interesting new story. Then they're introducing a character named Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Well, the Ten Rings 
comes from uh, the, the Mandarin, who's like the villain in Iron Man 3. That's from the Ten Rings. So it's connected all the way back to the beginning, even though this is a completely new character and a completely new story. They're also coming out with Spider-Man No Way Home, so a new Spider-Man film. He's a fan favorite, but he came later. He didn't come in until till Phase 3 of the MCU. There's another Doctor Strange film. He's also a late-come character. He's linking up with WandaVision. Thor Love and Thunder. Thor is going to be replaced. Jane Foster is going to become Thor, and Thor is going to be... Who's Jane Foster? What's that? I don't know who Jane Foster is. Jane Foster is Thor's love interest from the uh, 2011 film Thor. Who plays Jane uh, Foster? Played by uh, Natalie Portman. Oh, yes. I knew that from the South Park making fun of that. Yeah, so she's going to come in here. Uh, Chadwick Boseman died tragically this last year. Uh, they're not going to recast the character of Black Panther. Instead, they're going to fill in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther, with other new interesting characters. We've got new characters coming in for the Marvels. We've got new characters coming in for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You know that's going to be fun and interesting with James Gunn, the Fantastic Four. Plus, there's all, this doesn't even mention the Disney series, of which there are several that deal with new characters, new stories, interesting plots, and they're to- they don't have to rehash anything in order to tell fresh, fun, exciting stories on the screen. Having a hard time convincing me Disney didn't pay you to go on that rant. But well, I see your point. Your point is that Stanley invented a bunch of stuff for them to draw from, and they have rights, so they're going to. Okay, so, uh, so, so. All right, I want to direct this conversation to, to, to wrap up our little debate here because... Recently, in my favorite screenwriter podcast series called Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith, I think is what it's called. Not a great name. He got into this before. It was like a thing. Just recording interviews he did. So what he does is he screens a film, and he gets the writer or the director or the actor or whatever to like do a Q&A, right? Pretty cool stuff, and you get to hear, like, what was it like to write it? And they do. They give a really good insight about, like, the writing of the writing and, like, it's good, deep writer shit. It's awesome. He, in 2010, I think did Tarantino on Inglorious Bastards. And Tarantino had, at that point, never, and has since since never talked about his writing in this way, ever. He doesn't do it. And the fact that it got released in 20, I think it was 17 or 18, because the guy was, like, waiting, and t- quit. the guy was like, it was a one-time only thing, you had to be there live. And then Quentin, I guess, eventually was like, yeah, fuck it, send it out, whatever. And he mm-hmm. let him. So Inglorious Bastards, we found this nugget. That was originally written to be what would have kicked off this HBO limited series thing. That was yeah. written to be a six, five or six part miniseries. And then the French got Quentin drunk and they said, no one makes movies anymore. We love your cinema. And he was like, ah, oh, God, fine, fine. Talk me into it. I'll make it a movie. So when you now want to watch Inglorious Bastards, a top five film for me of all time, I've seen it. I don't know, 50, 60 times, various scenes. I love it. It's one of my favorites. I haven't seen it all the way through 50, 60 times, just like on planes, you know, watch for an hour, whatever. Sure. I can't help since listening to that. Excellent interview, by the way. I don't know that it would have been better. I don't know that it would have been worse. That's the grayest of all gray areas for me. Because what we're talking about, like, what if MCU was, what if Captain America was a three-year-long, 30-hour epic for the two movies that the first two parts of it, like I can, I can conceptualize that pretty easy. There's enough cookie crumbs that you can lay in all over the place, or 
What if it wasn't? Like, you and I don't know for sure. But in Glorious Bastards, like, chapter one this, chapter two that. It's clearly, now that you, you think about it, it's clearly laid out that way. Clearly. That's true. It's yeah. episodic. So what do you think? Well, I think one thing that we haven't addressed throughout all of this discussion is that it's not just about what's good for convenient storytelling or easy consumption. We live in the streamer's age. We've just been through a year and a quarter where people couldn't go into theaters unless they were pieces of shit who didn't care about anybody else's well-being. It, yeah, it's been a difficult time. But there's magic to being at the movies. I mean, some of these, some of these stories are shot to be... They're, they're, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's on a TV screen in a series or in just in somebody's DVD player. Like you can, you can just throw on a movie in the background and call it good. But there are some things that are meant to be shown in a theater, in this immersive environment. You're in the dark. You're with strangers. You know, with, with Marvel movies and big action films like that, there's some anticipation when you have a big series coming out. People wait in line for hours. People buy tickets months in advance to go to these things. And I got to tell you, the, the atmosphere in theaters when stuff like The Avengers comes out, like, like, like at, at Endgame, it's the most indescribable movie experience I've ever had in my life. And I didn't even go on the opening night. I went after. And still, people, when they saw like their fan favorite moments, like Captain America picking up Thor's hammer, you know, in, in, in Infinity War, when Thor comes down to Wakanda and he provides reinforcement right when they need it the most, I mean, those moments of excitement, like people just went ballistic. They've been waiting for this for years and years, ever since the MCU started. These fans are like, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to see that played out on screen? And when you're there in that moment, you capture a certain magic that you just can't reproduce no matter how much money grubbing you do. No matter how much you cater to the lazy streamer sitting on the couch drinking beer, blah, blah, blah. Like, that lowest common denominator shouldn't be the driver for stories that can capture so much more when they're elevated to the silver screen. Uh, I'm with you and I'm not. I'm with you in aspects of what you just said in terms of, like, anticipation. And that's my biggest argument is that if the film coming out is a moment in time, if it's an event... Like, I saw Harry Potter's 1, 2, and 7.2 in theaters. I did not see the others because I didn't have to. I don't want to spend the money on it. I'm going to watch it my own convenience. But the last one, I did because it was a moment. Like, this is a thing that is happening. It is exciting. People are going. I've seen them all. I am up to date. So I, I'm there with you on that. And I told my now wife, for Game of Thrones Season 8, I would have paid $200 to watch all of the Season 8 episodes in a theater on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Easily. No question. I would have bought season tickets to experience what you were just saying. To watch all eight episodes or seven or whatever it was of the final season, to experience those moments in a theater, quiet, with other people who have been waiting for the conclusion of this thing for like a decade, yes, I am 100% with you. However, the juxtaposition of that is every now and then when there's like a really good movie that comes out and it, it does well because like the director's famous or it's a good cast or it's got a lot of awards, hype or whatever... I have yet to find one that makes an argument for that being a moment. It's just a one-off. And as far as one-offs go, it's like if we say like a limited series, like I don't know if you've seen True Detective or Maniac is this way on Netflix, things that are essentially films, they're just like 10-part films. They're basically, they're basically movies. They're not going to be another season. It's a one-time thing, essentially, right? Right. And those are what movies are. Like Silver Lang's Playbook, great movie. I can't make an argument that that's a moment in time. 
I don't have an argument for in the timeline of my life. If I live to hopefully be 70 to 80 to 90 years old, there is no difference in the timeline of my life of waiting 18 months to be that bundled with another streaming service. So for the MCU, I completely understand what you're saying. And I was at the premiere of The Dark Knight. And I would, like I said, I can't imagine what it would have been like in a theater for the HBO symbol to, like, to come through the static on the last season of Game of Thrones. It would have been euphoric. And I would have Absolutely. paid $200 to watch the final season, maybe more. Like if it's, if it's like, say, 20 bucks to go to a Marvel movie at a nice theater on opening night to buy in advance, and there are eight, what's that, kind of like 160 yeah, I'd have paid 200 bucks. No question in my mind. But, I mean, you and I arguing about, like, best way to tell a story. Like, the best way to tell a story is more, more time. Like, the more time you have, the more pages you have. That's why David Foster Wallace writes, like, infinitely. That's Tolstoy and Tom Wolfe. Like, the more space you have, the more stuff you can put in there. Whether or not it's better is up to the nerds. But well, whether we, or not we started the We started this conversation with you saying that the movies were too long and too big. They are. So, well... Which is it? The you can't, you can't, you can't say both of those things because... I've been the whole time. Like at, at, at a certain point, it stops being about like which medium is better, and it starts being about, I'm a bad consumer of movies, and I just don't like them. I don't. The story's too short, the chapters are too long, and they cost money. That is a user error. A user error? 